So this week on the Physio Foundations podcast is part two of my conversation with Yudari Kolumbash. And as promised in the last episode, we're going to be talking about pelvic floor dysfunction in women with breast cancer, but also about how Yudari put together her PhD and perhaps some of the the ways you can approach reading research and thinking about um, asking research questions and applying those findings in the clinic. So let's get straight into it. Yudari, welcome back to Physio Foundations. Thanks, Luke. Thanks for having me back. So if you want to know, if you clicked on this episode, you haven't listened to part one, if you want to hear a bit about Yudari and her background and what led her to this topic and um, some really interesting and uh, useful information for clinicians in terms of screening and assessing for um, sexual dysfunction, urinary incontinence and other um, conditions, go back and listen to the previous episode. And we'll have a look at the show notes there for a link to the uh, the Continents Foundation of Australia website. So Yudari had some really interesting points related to that website. So that's a good starting point for you. But Yudari, let's get on with a conversation about what you did in your PhD. So tell us about your PhD. Okay, so um, my PhD looked at pelvic floor dysfunction in women with breast cancer. Um, So just to tell you a little bit about pelvic floor dysfunction or pelvic floor disorders, um, so they can refer to impairments in pelvic structures and organs. So that can include storage problems such as continence or incontinence, or it can be um, problems with emptying such as voiding or defecation. Um, So we know that the pelvic floor consists of the bony pelvis. You've got the pelvic floor muscles. You've got the connective tissues, the nerves and blood vessels in the area. But they are all structures that are involved in um, the support and function of the pelvic organs, which are the bladder, the uterus and the rectum, um, in controlling their openings, openings, which are the urethra, the vagina and the anus. And sort of any problems related to the bladder, the bowel, um, or any sexual functions are sort of collectively termed as pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, and my PhD had a very specific focus on pelvic floor muscles, um, the levator ani muscles, which includes the um, piborectalis the pubococcygeus, as well as the iliococcygeus muscles. And collectively, the levata ani support the pelvic and the abdominal organs, um, again, to control the openings and closing of pelvic floor organs or the pelvic organs. Um, And any dysfunction of these muscles can happen with aging. It can happen with any surgeries that you may have um, or any disease or trauma such as giving birth or vaginal births. Um, And so without this appropriate support for the pelvic organs, they're unable to optimally function, which can then increase your potential to develop pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, so in literature, uh, we've noticed that women with breast cancer may experience, um, pelvic floor dysfunction at a higher rate following cancer treatment. 
So, you know, in the community dwelling women without breast cancer, we'd expect about a third of women to experience urinary incontinence. Um, comparatively, research have shown that women with breast cancer, you know, about 36 to 67% can have urinary incontinence in the group with breast cancer. So, you know, we know that the prevalence is high and we also know that the severity can be higher as well in women with breast cancer. Um, but we really didn't know why that was or why, you know, you might experience pelvic floor dysfunction after breast cancer treatment. Um, so my thesis sort of tried to come up with a proposed pathway on how this can happen. Um, and we thought that the mechanism was related to some of the cancer treatments that these women have, um, such as chemotherapy or endocrine therapy. Um, so these treatments can lead to sort of um, suppress the, the function of the ovaries, um, which can then push women into menopause. So it can, you know, induce menopause in women with um, who are premenopausal um, or worsen menopause in women who are already postmenopausal. And, you know, long periods of this can lead to um, a condition called genital urinary syndrome of menopause, which describes um, sexual menopausal or urinary symptoms, which are collectively known as your pelvic floor disorders. Um, so that's sort of what we looked at um, within my um, PhD. So I really want to know what is the actual prevalence that's, you know, of, of these conditions in these women and how does it really compare to women without breast cancer? That was my very first question that I wanted to ask. And secondly, you know, we know that the pelvic floor might not be optimally functioning in these women if this is happening. So what's the pelvic floor function in these women, again, compared to those without um, breast cancer? Um, and towards the, the later end of my PhD, um, I wanted to see, you know, what are some of the treatments that we can offer based on whatever I find at the start of my PhD? Mm. Um, and we know that the recommended first-line therapy for pelvic floor dysfunction is pelvic floor muscle therapies um, because, you know, it can either directly improve the function of the pelvic floor muscles or it can act as a compensatory mechanism for impairments in other pelvic floor tissues in the area. Um, so towards the end, we sort of wanted to also know whether if it is feasible to sort of do these types of treatment and whether it might be effective as well in this group of women. So, what a clear summary. That's beautiful. So you, you had more. Go on. No. So um, my PhD was very foundational in this line of research um, in that it was sort of the very first steps, I guess, that we needed to take to investigate these problems. Um, and, yeah, that's sort of where, where we went through my PhD. Yeah, so really looking, first of all, in terms of foundation, understanding prevalence and yes. then understanding the difference between in, in people with and without urinary incontinence and, and uh, sorry, in, with, with and without breast cancer in terms of their pelvic floor function and then um, looking at pelvic floor muscle therapies as an intervention. So it sounds easy. Well, it doesn't sound easy at all. Uh, it's, it's, it's easy to say, but 
you know, very well done on the, the studies that you did. Tell us about that. So the first one was a systematic review. Yes. So, so that's a big undertaking and that was one of many studies you did. So I guess what did you find? So um, my systematic review with um, with the meta-analysis was um, one, of nine, uh, one of seven studies that I've done um, in my PhD. And this one, what we did was we wanted to look at what the previous literature said already before I started on any of my own studies. I wanted to see what those research said and what prevalence was showing. And I was interested in sort of all types of bladder and bowel disorders in this group of women. So what's already sort of out there. Um, So with bladder disorders, we saw that 33% of women had bladder or any type of bladder disorder. And specifically, if we were to look at urinary incontinence, 36% had urinary incontinence. Um, we also looked at what um, the prevalence was of all bowel disorders that's already published out there in women with breast cancer. And there was only one study that reported this, and that study looked at fecal incontinence and said that there was 18% of women with breast cancer who had fecal incontinence. So within this study, um, I really want to compare the result of women with breast cancer as well as women without breast cancer from other studies that were not included as a part of the systematic review in community-dwelling women. Um, So comparing those two, we found that women with breast cancer had 36% of urinary incontinence compared to only 21% in the community-dwelling women without breast cancer. So there is a higher prevalence there of urinary incontinence. And if we also look specifically at fecal incontinence, 18% of women with breast cancer had fecal incontinence compared to only 8 to 10% in women without breast cancer. So again, so you really have confirmed, oh, yeah. you've drawn all that evidence together and, and confirmed what you suspected as working in, as a clinician and what yeah. others have, have suspected that the prevalence is higher. That's yeah. right. Yes. And this was really the starting point. You know, looking at what's already been out there, I sort of saw that there was quite a lot of um, gaps, I guess, in the literature, um, which can then impact on these results. So one of the gaps that I found is um, a lot of these studies used um questionnaires there were validated questionnaires but there were questionnaires that were framed in the context of cancer and you know other symptoms that are related to cancer so you know they might actually rate um non-fatal conditions such as bladder or bowel disorders when that's put into the context of cancer that might actually be rated you know quite low in terms of impact compared right. to that it, that's a little bit more life-threatening. Um, so we thought that, you know, in, there might actually be um, an underestimation of the impact of bladder and bowel conditions that we found in previous studies. So that led us to think that we probably need to do a couple more studies, but now focusing on pelvic floor dysfunction and using pelvic floor-specific questionnaires. So, so really... Really interesting. So tell us then. Uh, so you've you've confirmed the rate that the prevalence is high. It's mm-hmm. a problem. And then what were the next studies? 
So we did a couple more studies looking specifically at the prevalence of these conditions in the women in Victoria because we needed to really confirm whether this was happening in Australia as well. And we again found very similar rates. Um, women with breast cancer um, had a higher prevalence as well as distress and impact of urinary incontinence. So we were really interested then to see, okay, what does the pelvic floor look like in these women? Um, and are there any impairments in pelvic in their, the way that their pelvic floor muscles are functioning? So that led to one of the other studies which compared um, the way that the pelvic floor muscles are functioning in these women. Um, and this study actually found that the pelvic floor muscle strength and their ability to relax their pelvic floor was much poorer in women with breast cancer than women without breast cancer. So then um, this showed that, you know, pelvic floor muscle um, training, which targets strength or relaxation techniques, might be a therapeutic target to improve the function of pelvic floor muscles in women with breast cancer, which can then treat some of the the symptoms that we're seeing here. So that's sort of um, that what that study showed, which then you know led us to you know our final study, which was um, you know the intervention trying yeah. to yeah trying to put together a feasibility trial to see if this treatment is going to be you know feasible are the women going to be engaged and you know interested in actually having these treatments done um and we saw fantastic engagement with that study um women this was were, a study that you did in 2020 in the yes. middle of melbourne uh, australia's in infamous lockdown. lockdowns <laughs> that went for many many months so you did a lot of this via or all of it via um, yeah. teleconference that's right. This Tell us about it. Tell um, us a bit more about this study. Yeah. So in this study, we provided women with a um, 12-week intervention and it was a pelvic floor muscle training program um, and all done through telehealth. So I did not have any face-to-face -face, um, or, you know, live sort of um, assessment or anything. Um, but what we did was we sent women a home-based intravaginal biofeedback device called the FemFit device. Um, and that really shows you in real time how or the, the amount of pressure created by the pelvic floor muscles. Um, and that was what really guided this pelvic floor muscle training um, program while connected onto Zoom. Mm. So it's not just the strength. It's, as you said before, it's the ability to relax those relax. muscles as well. Mm -hmm. So a, a control aspect as much as a strength aspect. Why exactly. is that? Why, why is relaxation a problem? Important. Yes. It, it, why is it important? Why, is it, why does that happen? Why is it a problem? Yeah. So relaxation um, is really important. So if you don't completely relax your muscles, your next contraction, you won't be able to fully contract the next, right. um, the next contraction there. Um, and that's why we need to ensure that women won't, won't really holding in that contraction after the very first one. Right. So with that FemFit device, you can actually see if they're completely relaxing and bringing that pressure all the way back down to zero or whether there was some residual um, pressure there showing that it's, you know, 
impacting it. It's hard for them to completely relax their pelvic floor mm-hmm. muscles, which is something that I did see at the very start of the program. And we really worked on trying to get women to relax and contract. And, you know, it was a bit of a process, but we did see really good results from this study. Um, so looking at some of the clinical outcomes that we looked, that we assessed in this study, um, at the start of the intervention, women, so all women with um, breast cancer who had stress incontinence were included in this study. So 100% had stress urinary incontinence. And after the intervention, only 29% of the cohort had um, urinary or stress urinary incontinence after that. Wow. So, so is that intervention um, novel or can, what equivalents exist in the clinic? What would um, somebody likely do when they worked with someone who specializes or who works in pelvic health? Yeah, so that intervention was based on Chantelle Dumoulin's pelvic floor muscle training program. Um, That is a validated um, program and that's sort of the gold standard that we do have and that's what um, pelvic floor physiotherapists often use to um, guide their pelvic floor muscle training on. Obviously, that will be tailored according to the woman and what the the level of the uh, women, but um, this is why we use that program because it is what's you know really good and what's shown to be um, effective in women without breast cancer. Mm. Time is not our friend now. We ha- only have a minute left because you have to be elsewhere. So we're going to wrap it up. I feel like there's a part three and even a part four here, but you know the future's <laughs> open and we can get you back on here again. But um, th- you've given us a, a really nice summary of the questions you asked and why you asked them, how they link to your clinical experiences. And I hope I've given people just some insight. I'm asking questions really as um, quite honest questions. I don't know a lot of the answers or can't preempt them. And um, I'm asking really as your general physiotherapist, asking someone with a special interest in this area, which is fine. And I'm sure plenty of the listeners are in that position as well. Um, we've we've learned that we there are resources we can direct practitioners and um, patients too, including the Continents Foundation of Australia website. Um, and you've touched on you know, a number of really important issues affecting this population and some of the management strategies. So really good overview. So thanks, Yudari. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Luke. Anything else, You any final thoughts? Or perhaps we'll leave that for a, a future episode. I'll okay. get you back on in the future. Anything else you wanted to add before we wrap things up? Thanks, Luke, and um, thanks for everyone for your interest in listening in this, to this topic. And I'd be very happy to answer any questions um, if you have any. Luke can pass it on to me. Fantastic, it will do. So please send those questions through. We'll let your diary off the hook, and um, we'll see you on the next episode. So thanks very much, your diary. Thank you. So until next time, this is your diary and Luke wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development, and lifelong learning.